Welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. He's Kurt Norbit. He's Danny Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) Did I hit that curveball, Danny? You did. I was going to sort of see how you'd react. Yes, both are true. He is Kurt Norbit. I am Danny Simmons. We're glad to be with you today. We're talking about Thou Shalt Not in this podcast. Today, we're glad to have you with us. We're thankful that you've joined us. What we want to talk about is the Ten Commandments that are given to us in the Old Testament. They're, they're recorded for us twice in the Old Testament. And we want to look and see uh, how many of those are repeated in the New. Uh, some interesting things about the Old Testament and, and the Ten Commandments that God gave on Mount Sinai. The, the first table of the law, there's going to be four uh, specific individual laws. The, the first table of the law deals with man's relationship to God. The second table of the law deals with man's relationship to his fellow man. So the last six, the Lord is giving instruction on how we should treat one another and how we should guard our hearts with uh, attitudes and and sin that can creep into our lives. Um, Eight out of the ten say, thou shalt not, or you shall have no. So there's, there's a negative there, and that's why we titled this podcast, Thou Shalt Not. Eight of the ten are things that you should not do. It is interesting too as you look at the New Testament and how it ties to the Old as as Kurt and I were talking earlier that in the Lord's Prayer as it's often referred to in Matthew's Gospel um, he touches on many of the things that are in the Old Testament. Uh, For example, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus starts his prayer by saying our Father who art in heaven. One Father and that, that's very interesting to me. Um, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Jesus in his prayer says, Hallowed be thy name. Uh, Thou shalt not kill is number six. And Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're supposed to forgive, not attack. Number seven, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Lead us not into t- temptation. Thou shalt not steal. Jesus asked his Father, God, in that prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. And number 10, thou shalt not covet. Jesus concludes his prayer by saying, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When we pray to God the Father that way, everything is God's. That It it just immediately dissolves this idea of covetousness. Mm -hmm. I'm longing for something that's ultimately not mine. And and that is a, a, a bad condition of our own heart. When we do that, so there's some interesting things about these Ten Commandments. There's there's a lot to them actually, and we're going to try to focus on one thing specifically. And what is that? <laughs> well, we've if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've we've all heard it stated. You've said it, Danny, and I've said it that uh, nine of the Ten Commandments are restated in the New Testament. Mm. Um, and one reason we're looking at this today is. For me, especially as Christians, uh, we have to beware of falling into the worldly trap, as I see it, of hearing something so often, if something is stated as such, so often that we just kind of come to the assumption it must be true. We see that taking place in politics and, and social issues all the time. It's a tactic that's always used. That's right. But we as Christians need to develop the habit of referring to primary sources. Uh, Just as a quick example of that, when I got to Texas, I heard it all the time that Texas can secede from the Union anytime it wants. It's in the Texas Constitution. And I just got to thinking, that sounds odd. So 
I went to the primary sources. I looked at the Texas Constitution. And not wanting to pop anybody's bubble, that's not in there. Hmm. Texas cannot secede from the Union. So, but that's, that's just an example. You could take, it's said so often that people assume it's true. Right. But when you go to the primary source, you can verify it. And that's what the Bereans did. Uh, when they heard what Paul taught, they went to the primary source, the scriptures, and verified whether that was so or not. And we that's need right. to have that same attitude. So as you indicated, though, the, the study of the Ten Commandments, this is not just ten words that God stamped on stone. This, the Ten Commandments are a deep and profound and instructive lesson. There's much that is taught in the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. And we could spend two hours here right now going through this, but uh, we're just going to focus on that, that statement. Nine of the Ten Commandments have been restated in the New Covenant, so that's, our, that's why they're authoritative today. Is that really so? So we're just going to look at each commandment and uh, find out where the New Testament addresses that, if it does. Yeah. And uh, we, w we also do want to encourage, if there are any questions, uh, uh, that this opens up for people, because it is a rich study, and I encourage it, uh, if you've never done a study of the Ten Commandments. We do accept questions and comments Absolutely. to this podcast. Absolutely. We love that, in fact, because that initiates a Bible discussion. And that's yes, what it's all about. So don't hesitate to email us or send those. You can uh, address it through the church's website, or if you're a member here, you can come see us. Sure. Uh, and if, if, it's, uh, if it warrants it, we can certainly address that in a separate podcast and make a good uh, source of study. And we absolutely will. That's commonsensegospel at yahoo.com. It's where we can be emailed, commonsensegospel at yahoo.com. We'd love to get some feedback. So we're going to go one through ten. I'm going to do number one. Um, and before I begin on number one, these ten commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And then Moses reminds them of those commandments and how they were given and how they were there and and. Uh, entered into this covenant with the Lord. That, that second time it's repeated is Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 through 11. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, I have Ephesians 4, 6, and certainly, Kurt, if there's something else you want to add to that, uh, another passage that you found yourself. But in Ephesians 4, 6, there's really beginning of verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in you all. So when God says to his people, you shall have no other gods before me, he's not talking about a, you can have some gods, but just make sure I'm first. Mm -hmm. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there shall be no, nothing at all that you worship uh, that is within my purview. And now we're talking about an omniscient and omnipowerful God, omnipresent. There shall be no God in my presence uh, as it pertains to you. So that, that's what he is saying. There's none but him. He is one God. He is the one true God. It's, um, oh boy. <laughs> Deuteronomy 4, 6, 6, 4, where oh, uh, the, the Lord, Shema. God, the yeah. Shema, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, God is, is one. one. Yes. And so those ideas, those, those 
concepts are there, but Ephesians 4, 6 tells us there's one God and Father of us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have that one, actually, but uh, I looked at uh, Acts 14, 15, for one, where Paul and Barnabas have gone to Lystra, uh-huh. And uh, the citizens there see a miracle performed, and they just go idolatrous, idolatrously bonkers, <laughs> and they they want to offer sacrifice because they consider them to be gods. And so Paul and Barnabas cried out to them in uh, verse fifteen, Acts fourteen fifteen, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And then he goes on and talks about that God gave himself witness by blessing them with the things that they need, giving evidence of himself. So there again is that idea. We need to be paying attention to the one true God and not focusing on the vain things That's right. of the earth. It's crystal clear in Acts, Acts 14. Very good. You have number two. Yep. You shall not make for yourself any carved image. Uh, one thing we're going to notice as we look at these uh, restatements is that most of the time you won't see them quoting that commandment. Mm-hmm. But they will be dealing with the principle right. and, and actually stating it more strictly in the new and we see that, for example, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. Right. So Jesus goes <laughs> to the heart. Uh, and whereas you could justify it by saying, well, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. So I didn't break the commandment. I didn't commit adultery. Well, Jesus tightens up. Yeah. So we're actually under a stricter moral code sure. than the Ten Commandments. But you'll not make for yourself a graven image. And I had uh, a couple of passages, uh, actually four of them that I put down. Okay. Um, and I'll just mention them real quick if people are taking notes. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, 1 John 5, 21. In both of those passages, both Paul and John say, Beloved, flee idolatry. That's right. Don't get involved in that. Now, it doesn't say don't make a carved image, but you can't practice idolatry unless there's a carved image there to worship. Yeah. So either you made it or someone else did. You shouldn't be involved. Uh, Revelation 21.8 and 22.15 talk about idolaters. will have their place in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And idolaters uh, are listed in a very sorted group of individuals that God are, is not going to recognize Rebellious, on the day of judgment. Sinful. So that principle then is, is firmly addressed uh, in the New Testament. Don't get involved with Ro- carved images. And Romans 1 talks about it too. Yeah, the, the descent of man the is one of their problems. More than the creator, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they put this imagery before God. That was part of the slide downward. It's sin against God. Okay, no, so you had the next one. Yes, sir. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, mm-hmm. for he shall not hold him guiltless. Um, Revelation eleven eighteen, hmm. I mentioned too in Jesus' prayer, hallowed be thy name. He, he uses God's name appropriately. Revelation eleven eighteen, it says the nations 
were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So the reward comes to his prophets and to those who who are saints. They, because they are saints, because they are prophets, they fear his name. And, and, and someone who fears the name would not use that same name in vain, not if they're afraid uh, or there's fear stricken mm-hmm. by the, the name and, and the power of that name. Revelation 15, 4, yeah. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Who shall not fear you and glorify your name? So there's those... Again, being repeated in the New Testament, his name is still very important to, to everything that we are. Yeah, and I also uh, had on my list Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Absolutely. So how do we speak about God to others? Are we showing him the reverence and the honor and the respect that he's due, or do we trivialize him? Right. And uh, just on that, uh, with modern social media, I caution, especially Christians, how many times do people use OMG in their texting or their communicating, their social communicating? What does that mean? Right. It's taking God's name in vain. It's trivializing and profaning the holy name of God. So consider that if... If perhaps that just, you know, without even thinking that might just be a, a habit someone might have in social media, give that some consideration. Yeah, break that immediately. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess mine's the next one. It's one of the, the two that doesn't say thou shalt not or you shall have no. It is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What's unique about this is there is no scripture in the New Testament that... Uh, gives us a command or shows us an example of Christians uh, observing this day. Uh, and that's, that's where that phrase often comes from. Nine of the Ten Commandments have been restated in the New Testament. Well, this is the one that's not. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll just add to it. We, we don't hear the phrase that much anymore, but when the old line denominations had more influence, you constantly heard the phrase Christian Sabbath mm. in reference to Sunday. Right. And they, it used to actually be taught that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. Well, you can know, sorry, no, <laughs> that is not so. No. There is no such thing as the Christian Sabbath. So uh, there is nothing that indicates that we should observe this. And in fact, uh, you brought up a scripture in our earlier discussion where Paul addresses how we are to view that over in Colossians, I believe. Um, And that was in Colossians 2, if I recall correctly. That's right. Verses 16 and 17 is is in the context. Yeah. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So that festival, New Moon, Sabbath, that deals with the yearly, monthly, and weekly Jewish feasts. Right. And Paul says, "Don't. no one should judge you according to those things. Well, that would indicate it's not important to observe them anymore. Right. 
But the reason we don't is because they are a shadow. The substance is Jesus. Right. So if we're going to hang on to the Sabbath, we're grasping at shadows. Yeah. Because we're basically saying, oh, that one's not fulfilled. No, the substance is Christ. That's right. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And so if, even with that, we can respect and, and be be thankful that those things were set in front of us. Those, those, that's something else. Like you said, you, some of these you can flesh out and really kind of follow that. Mm-hmm. If it's a shadow, then in what way? You know, and so, so you start to look at it and say, oh, it's important to understand the Sabbath. Well, we're not throwing that out and saying it's irrelevant or unimportant. As far as biblical study, it is not a New Testament commandment. It's not, in, it's not enjoined upon or commanded uh, for the New Testament church Christ Church to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. So that is the one we think out of the 10 that preachers are always referring to. Uh, Number five, honor thy father and mother. When I was a kid, I thought there was no passage in the New Testament that had anything to do with this, and it surely must have been old law. I didn't want to be stoned either for misbehavior, which is in the Old Testament. But Honor thy father and mother. Now that I am a parent, I have Ephesians 6.1 memorized, which we said to our boys all the time. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this, this is right. This is right. Yeah. And it's the first commandment with promise. And Titus 2, I, I would just throw Titus 2 in there as well. It talks about, you know, speak to elderly women as your mother speak to elderly men mm-hmm. as, as your own father. You know, so that, that, that implies that you are honoring your father and mother mm-hmm. because we're supposed to treat one another within the church that same way. So yeah. it's absolutely repeated in the New Testament. And Paul, in fact, directly quotes it. That, that is a verbatim quote from that commandment, yep. honor your father it's and the your first commandment with promise. Yep. Very and good. And that's an interesting study too. What, is, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. First commandment with promise. Yeah. All right, my next one is the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Uh, Romans 13, 9, Paul quotes uh, actually four of the commandments here, so this takes care of (laughs) several of them that are restated in the new. Uh, He says, for the commandments in Romans 13, 9, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, uh, and you shall not covet, and actually that's five, but in some versions of the Bible, uh, they will not have you shall not bear false witness in the text mm. there. But either four or five, but they are directly quoted in the one we're concerned with, you shall not murder. And he goes on and says, if there is any other commandment, all, and of course there are right. other commandments, there are four, six, five or six more. Paul says, any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So really... There's the restatement of all of the Ten Commandments except the fourth one in the New Testament. Because we carry them all out. They're all uh, validated for us as Christians because we can obey them by loving our neighbor as ourself. We aren't going to do those things that will harm our neighbor. If love is what it's supposed to be. That's right. That's right. But uh, amazing. I looked at one other passage and uh, which was interesting to me because... This passage is misused so much, uh, especially as it's based on the translation out of the old King James, you shall not kill, thou shalt not kill. Mm. Well, in war or capital punishment, you're killing people. Mm. So you can't do that. Well, uh, the modern versions have correctly translated the Hebrew because in the 
400 years since the translation of the Old King James, we have learned more about the languages of Hebrew and Greek. And the correct translation is, you shall do no murder. Right. Now, someone might quibble about that, but in chapter 21, God defines murder uh, for us. Exodus 21, 12, he says, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. That's what murder is. Right. You're striking someone so that they die. But he gives a caveat. He, he enjoins manslaughter. If he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I'll appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him with guile, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So that's, that's the definition of what that commandment is. That's right. You premeditatedly take somebody's life. Well, that's still capital punishment. Well, God practices capital punishment in this description. Yeah, and capital punishment is found in Romans 13. If a person kills somebody, if he strikes him so he dies, he shall be put to death. Yeah. So God isn't talking about capital punishment in this passage. But Romans yeah. 13, 9, several other passages, uh, uh, James 2.11, same thing, you shall not murder. Right. First uh, Peter 4.15, if you're taking notes, First John 3.15, Revelation 21.8, and 22.15. So Definitely repeated. Yeah. This idea of killing someone, it, as the Lord looks to humanity and says, do not kill one another. You know, from, from his perspective, the way he gives that to us, one big reality of that that we don't fully understand is that is just that. We don't fully understand. The Lord says to us, do not cast someone into eternity by, mm. by through your own anger and by some premeditated design because mm. of some personal issue that's going on with you. You have no idea what you're doing yep. when you end someone's right. life. You, plus, his desire is that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth mm-hmm. and be saved. And so it intensifies there if that person is put to death by some act of an individual who's just had enough or whatever it is, that the Lord says, dude, don't you dare. I gave the life. You have no right to take it. That's, that's mm-hmm. only my right and my prerogative, and, uh, which he uses. Yeah, and we see that in the point. Old Testament. Yeah, and he is the only one who. And it's not, he's not giving individuals power to, like in capital punishment. Right. That's the government's role. And as you mentioned, Romans 13 clearly outlines that. Yep. So that's in the New Testament. Um, number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. I just went to Matthew 5 uh, because this, again, yes. reinforces what you were saying. In Matthew 5, 27, uh, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting uh, the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and then he goes into this explanation of if it's your right eye that causes you to sin, pluck it out. And you know, if it's your hand, it's your foot, cut it off. So obviously very serious in its nature. Um, he So he... he he really fixes that issue where it's like, well, I never committed adultery. And he mm-hmm. says, hold on. Yep. <laughs> yes, you, you probably you didn't, have. <laughs> you, yeah, you didn't do it yeah. physically, follow through to the end and commit adultery. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, I'm saying to you now, 
that if you look at a woman and you lust in your heart, that you all, you personally already have because you've run through all of that scenario yep. in your mind and in your heart. Yep. And now all you lack is opportunity. So right. you're guilty because if you had opportunity, you would have done it. And so that's, mm-hmm. and this is another one of those huge, I know they're all so important, but this is another one that the person who wants to commit adultery, they create this beautiful picture of, I really, you know, this is really the one I should be with. And it, She's the one that makes me feel so good and, you know, not yeah. whatever. Well, she's married. You have no right to even begin to consider those scenarios because as we fall in love with our own picture of what this will look like, um, the destruction that's caused after adultery is committed and the pain and the anguish, and that no one can stop that freight train, especially you because you're the one who's caused it. And so it's just, it's just a wretched thing. And Jesus says to us, here's when you deal with it. As soon as it starts in the heart, you put it to death immediately. and Don't let that develop into anything else. If you keep it in your heart and, 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 and repent for that thought or that desire of the heart, it's still just between you and God. But so many people today are chasing after someone else's wife, someone else's husband, and yeah. ruining lives, hundreds of lives, yeah. uh, every time it happens. So very serious in my mind. What's number eight? Number eight, you shall not steal. Um, Romans thirteen nine is again it's <laughs> quoted there where Paul says you you can take care of that by loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians six ten tells us that thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I, the passage that strikes me is Ephesians four twenty eight. Let him who stole steal no longer, but Rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. There's the contrast. When you work with your hands, you are bringing something, or God is providing through that so that you can help someone else. That's right. But stealing is all about you. I want that for me. You're not gathering stuff up to help those who have need. Right. So it's basically selfishness versus selflessness. Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's completely r- the wrong attitude, but both by statement and in principle, we see that command to not steal reiterated in the New Testament. That's exactly right. That is awesome. Don't steal. Good thing pilfering is not mentioned in the New Testament because <laughs> pilfering's okay. Well, uh, a good thing too, in California, they've made shoplifting a misdemeanor, so you can, hey. you know, no big deal now. You can get your buddies together and go and rip off stores. Oh, they're already doing that. So the last 30 seconds or so of us talking has all been joke, it's sarcasm. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it illustrates. Pilfering is theft. Yes. It's taking little things. Anything one, that doesn't belong to you that you take, that is theft. That's right. No matter how small. Mm-hmm. It's a pen, a pencil, doesn't belong to you, it's not yours, you cannot take it. Don't live that way. It doesn't even have to be a material object. No. If you're working for an employer... And you're not doing your job that he's paying you to do. You are stealing from right. him. You're stealing we, his money. And we know the answer to that whenever he or she walks in the room and we change our behavior. Exactly. Yeah. So this, all of a sudden, just, I'm real busy on the Yeah, computer. look at me go. I'm almost done with all of this paperwork mm-hmm. or whatever it is you're, you're told to do. Um, that's embarrassing. Don't, don't live that way. And, and you know, it's, it's an easy thing to slip into. But anyway, we don't, we don't want to steal from mm-hmm. anyone. Work. 
with your hands that you may have opportunity to give to those who have need. That, that's, that's a beautiful picture of someone who loves God and serving him faithfully. Number nine is thou shalt not bear false witness. Romans 13, 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's thou shalt bear no false witness against thy neighbor. So Romans 13, 10 works really well there. Do no harm to a neighbor. I mean, how much more harm could you do to, to lie about what this person's been up to or what this person has done? Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. You can't bear false witness if you're following the commandment in Ephesians 4.15. And I have one more, Colossians 4. It's, we've talked about it a little bit before. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6 says this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to ha- how you ought to answer each one. So you now that mindset, that's uh, godly counsel, living uh, in the light of all of that, won't allow us to bear false witness against anybody. We speak the truth. Yeah. In fact, uh, the parallel passage. Uh, to that you mentioned Ephesians Paul said in, in Colossians 3 9 do not lie to one another yep. since you've put off the old man with his deeds that's bearing false witness so let's let's speak the truth if you speak the truth you cannot bear false witness that's right alright I've got the last one then the 10th commandment you shall not covet and the easiest one to keep oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> this one's interesting because this is a sin that doesn't have... Uh, the others are dealing with acts. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. But don't covet. That's an attitude of the heart. That's right. Because it's desiring or lusting for the possession of something that belongs to someone else. And the commandment actually delves into that because it goes on and says, you'll not covet your neighbor's wife or his house or his ox or all of these different things. Yeah. Uh, because you don't have a right to that. That's right. It's not yours, and so don't lust after it. Uh, Paul, in again, Romans 13, 9, it's mentioned, 1 Corinthians 6, 10, the covetous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, that verse 3 is another one I have listed, so I'm going to whip over there real quick and see why I listed it. Uh, and it's interesting how often Paul deals and mentions covetousness. Yeah. Uh, he said, I would not have known coveting unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet, in Romans 7. Which leads some to say that this was uh, a sin, this might have been Paul's thorn in the flesh, that he was constantly dealing with coveting. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't personally see that in Paul. But anyway, <laughs> Ephesians 5.3, fornication and all, un, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for the saints. So we, it shouldn't even be named among us. We should not be coveting anything that's ours. In fact, if someone has something that we just admire, that it, it's great, what should our attitude be? We rejoice be thankful. that yeah. they have that, that God has blessed them with that. Um, and then Colossians 3, 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and then a very interesting statement, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Yeah. Covetousness 
is idolatry, Paul says. That's right. Because you are wanting something more than you want God. That item is more important to you. You want that. Yep. Now God's not first place anymore, and you have created an idol in your heart. Yeah. So and that's two commandments then. <laughs> yeah. With. He says in Romans 7 that, the, the, that thou shalt not covet is, is, the, is the commandment that when it came to his understanding, it slayed him. He said it, it brought mm-hmm. forth death. Mm-hmm. This covetous idea was very difficult for him, which is why I jokingly said it's the easiest one. It is the one that goes down inside. Yep. It, like we talked about the, the Pharisee who says, I never committed adultery. I never, I didn't, you know, and the reality is in his heart he did. Yeah. But we can't verify that because he didn't actually do it. Therefore, he says, I'm innocent. Um, covetousness fix all of that. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the heart and now you answer to God. Um, so those, those are the 10. We did see that nine of the 10 were repeated in the New Testament and we are bound by those commandments. We are to keep those as members of the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, just as we close uh, the Sabbath, if you're still determined to keep it holy and to honor the Sabbath, if you want to keep the Sabbath and do it right, you must work six days. Mm-hmm. And that'll make a lot of people run away. <laughs> Exodus 20 and verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. It is the seventh day that yep. you are to rest. And so that destroys a lot of weekends. Uh, not that that's why we would or wouldn't, but that's a that's a fact. You have to work all six days. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sabbath is mentioned most in the book of Acts. And mm-hmm. as you watch the New Testament develop, it's mentioned in the book of Acts so many times because the Christians who are being converted, especially Paul, are going into the Sabbath, are going into the synagogue mm-hmm. on the Sabbath to preach the good news to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you see the word Sabbath a lot in the book of Acts. And then uh, it's mentioned just a couple of other times in Hebrews, we mentioned in Colossians. Uh, it's a shadow mm-hmm. of things to come. There is no commandment to keep that one. So it looks like we found the preachers to be right. Uh, they just didn't wear us out with all of the information we <laughs> presented today. Yeah. Well, there's much more we could say, but yeah. time precludes that. But time would fail Do us. encourage studying this or commenting on it, asking any questions you might have. We'd be happy to address them. Absolutely. And now we have trivia questions. we got four <laughs> total for you as you sit and listen with us or stand and listen, whatever it is you're doing, we have four questions. We want you to think about the living word of God. You know, do I know this? Is this something I can recollect? Uh, If not, we're hoping to spur your interest so that you would uh, look into it. Be Bereans. Mm -hmm. Study the scriptures to see if these things are true. Have a noble heart. Um, So I'm going to go first. Number number one, um, John the Baptist. Tell us what John the Baptist, at least as far as the Bible gives us. What did John the Baptist wear and what did he eat? His clothing was uh, camel hair with a leather belt, which by the way is the attire of a prophet. Ah. And uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. Very good. Yeah, that camel hair coat, man, that doesn't sound too comfortable to me. No, it doesn't. It's luxurious <laughs> if you're a prophet. Uh-huh. Um, so the second Question to that, and this isn't really fair. I'm just adding this okay. second piece is... This will be my extra credit. What are the only two Gospels that tell us what he wore and ate? Yee. Luke would probably be one of them. And I will say Mark. You got halfway. No, um, Matthew. I thought Luke had to tell us oh, too, and he, he did not. No, it's, oh, it's Matthew. Well, it's Matthew and Mark. Matthew okay. and Mark. So the verses are Matthew 3, mm. 4, and Mark chapter 1 and okay. verse 6. 
Yeah, I, I just thought that because Mark gives us, or uh, Luke gives us a lot of detail about John. Yeah, he spends almost an entire chapter yeah. talking about his birth and what, right. his father, Zacharias. It's yeah. in Matthew. Yeah. Okay. My first one was actually occasioned by the Wednesday night class. Okay. We were discussing uh, the, those that were killed by the various means, sawn in two and, and stopped the mouths of lions and what have you, and then uh, were killed by the sword. There was one individual who was not mentioned. He was a prophet contemporary with Jeremiah. Who was that prophet who was killed by the sword? Contemporary with Jeremiah? What prophet contemporary with Jeremiah, that's a hint, yeah, was um, killed by the sword? Do we know how Ezekiel died? It's not Ezekiel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll give you a, a, even another hint. Okay. That we all, pro- we all that prophet it. was in Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem? Yes. The same time Jeremiah was? Yes. I don't know. I'm going to say Hosea. Uh, okay. The prophet, if we go to Jeremiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 20. There was also a man who prophesied in the name of Jehovah, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jarim, wow. who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king and all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, Elnathan the son of Akbor and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Urijah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Wow. That is Jeremiah 26? Mm-hmm. Verses 20 through 24. And the prophet's name is Urijah. Urijah. U-R-I-J-A-H. Listen, if anyone else in the world got that one right, then they, <laughs> they can come host this that's, podcast. That's a very obscure one. But it's an uh, important lesson because yeah. you see the contrast. Jeremiah did not run, and he survived. Urijah ran, and it didn't do him any good. Yeah. And we also see the, the danger that Jeremiah was in. Absolutely. But as God promised him, he said, I, I will protect you. That's right. They are not going to listen to you, but I'll protect you. And he and warned God them not did. to flee to Egypt yeah. anyway. Jeremiah so. did not, uh, was not put to death by his enemies. Very good. All right. All right. My next question, or second question for you is, according to the book of Proverbs, who is the sluggard to consider? The ant. What verse is it? <laughs> um, let me consult my concordance. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. Proverbs 6, yeah. 6. Uh, okay, consider yeah. the ant, O thou sluggard. Mm-hmm. And the ant is ever working, ever yeah, busy. Always busy doing what needs to be done. Part of a bigger machine. Yep. Uh, very interesting picture for the sluggard. That little bit that the ant does contributes to the well-being of the entire colony. That's right. And that's and a, good, a good parallel for the church. The little thing that you might do in service to the body contributes to the well-being of the entire body. So Absolutely. We might think something is little. It's not. No. Nope. You are helping the body, and that's worth it. Amen. All right. My last one, and actually we're coming in pretty good for time here. Um, 
Of course, uh, God, because of Moses' sin, told him he could not enter the promised land. But he graciously allowed him to view it. From what peak did Moses view the promised land? It can't be Mount Horeb. He, he brought him somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know. He went to Mount Nebo. Okay. But he stood on the peak of Pisgah. Pisgah, Mount and Pisgah. And God told him, look to the north and the south and the yeah. east to the, and the west to all the land that I'm giving to That's people. That's right. So, that, yeah. See, that one is one that I just needed the cobwebs to be knocked off. Mm-hmm. Pisgah. The problem, I'm thinking, you know, how many mountains can I name here that are in Scripture, and that wouldn't do us any good. I don't know the answer to that specific question. Mount Pisgah. And then the Lord graciously buries Moses himself. Yeah, he dies there on Nebo. And no one knows and, where his body is. Yep, gives him a secret lame. grave. And that's an interesting study, too. Sure the is. burying of the body mm-hmm. of Moses and the events surrounding <laughs> yeah. that. Seems to be a pretty big issue. Yes. Amongst the principalities and powers. Yes. Um, very good. Well, we hope that you did better than I did as you were listening with us today. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're grateful, always grateful to have you with us. Remember, when your preacher says nine out of the ten commandments are repeated in the New Testament, well, now you have more information on that. We agree with him. We think nine out of the ten are the one that is not is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Lord's people today gather on the day of the Lord, the Lord's day, which is Sunday, the first day of the week. And that is the day when we're commanded, Acts 20 and verse 7, to gather together, to break bread, uh, to, con- to contribute to the work of the church. 16, 1 That's right. That's right. So all of that is settled in the scriptures and there's no issue there for us. We pray that this has been a blessing to you and that you have a wonderful day uh, as there is day left for you.